Turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, we continue, of course, our study of the gospel of Luke. <clears throat> Luke presents Jesus as the perfect man. He's the, he's the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Savior, the King. He's the one who dies and rises again. He's the one who pays for sin. He's conquered death. He gives eternal life to all who believe. We're seeing the ministry of Christ. He's been in the northern part of Israel, around the Sea of Galilee. His headquarters has been at Capernaum. Several weeks ago, we saw the change. We realize that Jesus' Galilean ministry is just about over. He's beginning to head toward Jerusalem. He's told his disciples that he would go down there, he'd be handed over to the Gentiles, he'd be killed, and then rise again. We're seeing something special this morning because Jesus appoints 70 of his disciples to go with the good news message. Recently we saw that he sent out the 12, and now he's going to send out a much larger group, 70. And as we look at this passage, there's just some things I want you to think about. We're going to think about going out with the message of Christ and the conflict and opposition, some believing, some rejecting. We'll see understanding the coming judgment. And we'll see specific ways to be successful in reaching those around us for Jesus Christ. In fact, this passage has seven keys about evangelism, so there's a lot of good things there. As we study, we want to be challenged and encouraged to proclaim Jesus Christ in our community. Well, as we begin this morning, what I want to do is I want to raise three questions for us to think about before we get into the passage. Here's the questions. Who are we? What are we to do? And how are we to do it? Well, the first question is, who are we? Well, by faith in Jesus Christ, we're children of God. We trust in Jesus Christ for eternal life. We're born in the family of God. John 1.12 says, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. So we're members of the body of Christ, the church, we're children of God. So second question, what are we to do? Well, Matthew 28.18-20, I think we have that as the next slide. 28.18-20 says we're to go and make disciples. That's evangelism and training. We're to take the message of Jesus Christ in this community. We gather, study, train, worship. We scatter into the community taking the message of Jesus Christ. And we're ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech. How do we do this? That's the third question. How are we to do it? Well, we go into the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8 tells us that we're to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. So who are we? Children of God. What do we do? Make disciples. How do we do it? In God's Word and God's power. Well, this morning we're going to see Jesus appointing 70 of his disciples to go into the region where they are. They're still mostly in the northern part there, and they're going to be passing through Samaria and going on down. But they're still normally in that part of Israel, and he's going to tell them to go and to take the message of the kingdom. And to tell people that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and the Savior and the King is on the earth. As we look at this passage, I think we can see some truths that will help us as we seek to take the message to this community. And so I'm going to give you some things as we go through and as we go. The passage is it's sort of a famous passage and some of the things there. Some of the things are a little bit hard about where Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. What does that mean? What about all these things about these cities and the judgment coming? We'll talk about it as we get through it. He tells them what they are to do. And how they are to do it. Well, let's begin. Jesus has made a change. He's told his men that he's on his way to Jerusalem. And that he will die and rise again, paying for sin. He continues to offer himself as the king. Basically, he's offered himself to the nation of Israel as the king and as the savior. John the Baptist is the one that pointed out that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He has been showing his authority as the king. How? By his miracles. He has shows his authority over disease and over death and over demons. And even the power to forgive sins. Last time, we saw a powerful thing. We saw his call to discipleship. 
the cost involved in being a disciple of Jesus Christ. We talked about it last week. There's nothing easy about it. Salvation is a gift, cost us nothing. Discipleship costs us our lives. And we talked about that last time. Well, this morning, we're going to take, he's going to send those disciples, those people who want to live for him and serve him, he's going to send them out and take the message into this area. Let me break down the passage for you. First of all, we're going to see sending out the 70. That's the first 12 verses. We see his plan. We see some opposition. Then we see the coming judgment because he's going to talk about God will judge one day whether people believe in Jesus Christ or not. We'll see that. And then return of the 70. They come back and they've got all this joy and they talk about what happened. But he says, let me tell you where the true joy is. And we'll see that right at the end of the passage. Well, as we begin, Jesus is going to send out the 70. Look at chapter 10, verse 1. Now, after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them out in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. It says now after this, after his call to discipleship, and we saw that last time. It's pretty powerful. We saw three aspects of discipleship last time when three different men came up to Jesus and said, I will follow you, and Jesus told them the cost of discipleship. Now let me make sure you understand something. Salvation has no cost to it for us. The cost was with God and His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross, paid for sin, rose again. Salvation cost us nothing. We trust in Christ for eternal life. It comes by faith. Discipleship cost us. Salvation is faith in Jesus. Discipleship is following Jesus. And it comes, of course, by costing us our lives as we seek to live for Him. So what does He do? It says, after this, the Lord appointed 70 others. Now, some of your Bibles, if you've got an NIV, it'll say 72. There are a number of manuscripts. I, I don't know if you realize this, but when, when we've got all the manuscripts of the Bible, there are over 15,000 manuscripts just of the New Testament. Some of them have little variant readings in there. And what the, what the translators do is they have to decide what is the most accurate or the best of the readings. Well, this one's about divided. There, there are a lot of good manuscripts that said 72. There are a lot of good manuscripts that said 70. So that's why some of your Bibles will say he sent out 70, and some of your Bibles say he sent out 72. It's not a big issue at all. It's just that uh, it, sometimes it's a little bit different reading. So it says, After this, the Lord appointed 70 others, or 72, and sent them out in pairs. Now, we're going to see he's got this plan. He's going to send them out in pairs, and, he's going, and it says to go to the city and the places where he himself was going to come. They were to go ahead of him, and they were to tell about the Messiah and the Savior, and that the king was on the earth, and then Jesus was coming. That's the thing. Now, I want you to think about some truths. As we go through this, I've got seven keys, you might say, for evangelism, seven things we want to look at. Here's the first one, and that's to have a plan. Jesus had the plan. He's got 70 guys, and he's sending them out to proclaim the message. And do we have a plan? That's, that's sort of the thing. We need a plan if we're going to reach our community. If Jesus Christ said, I'm going to send these 70 out to tell them about the kingdom, tell them about the Messiah, then we need to think about, okay, if we're going to evangelize, we need a plan. And, and uh, do we have a plan? And let's think about it. We want to equip believers to know the message and have a method. All of us in this room, you should know the gospel you should know the message, you should be confident in that message, and you should have a method in which you share your faith. If you said, I don't know for sure if I could do that, then you need to get in the 412 or the 22, or you need to come by and see me, you need to get in a small group so that we can train you on how to share your faith. Second thing is realize that we gather and scatter. We've come together this morning to, to worship our Savior, to be trained and equipped, so that when we scatter out into this community, we go with the good news message. And then we develop different ways to proclaim the message, different kind of things that we come up with as a church, as an individual, those kind of things. So we need to have a plan. So that's the first thing that we see. Jesus had a plan. We need to have a plan. Notice the verse goes on to say, And after this the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them out in pairs. Part two, or number two of this thing, have a partner. Have somebody with you. 
Jesus sent them out in pairs. You know, it's a lot easier to go when you're going with somebody else. It's a lot easier to share your faith. Now, there are a lot of times you're going to be by yourself and something comes up and you share your faith. But sometimes you go out in pairs and there's a reason for this. We encourage one another. Sometimes there's more boldness when somebody else is with you that helps you. And then we help each other. You know, in the Old Testament, whenever they were going with a message, whenever they were going something, it required two witnesses. Some people say that's why Jesus sent them out two by two because they're going with a message and they're two witnesses there. We don't know if that's the way it was. But let me tell you, at Dallas Seminary, when I was went to school there, when I went to seminary, about once a semester they had what they called Day of Evangelism. They divided up the area around Dallas Seminary. They took all the guys and they assigned us places to go share our faith. They sent us out, guess how, two by two. It was two guys, me and Jimmy Etheridge. We went out. We'd not, you know, at first you're so scared, but then you got this guy to encourage each other in boldness. And we finally, toward the end, we were rushing to the door to switch one guy's going to get the knock on the door and talk first. But, you know, when you first started going, you'd go, you go, no, you go, you go, you go. You know, that's how it is. Sometimes it's scary. That's why you have a partner. You have somebody to pray for you. Somebody to to talk about, talk talk with, and say, you know, I'm, I've got this friend at work, and I want to share my faith. And this person will say, okay, well, I'm going to pray that you'll get to, and those kind of things. So have a partner. And then, note, so have a plan, have a partner. And he goes on to say this. Look at this. The, the, the third, the verse 2 says, And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. The third thing that we do is we pray for fellow workers. We pray for each other. He says, listen, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. See, there's a lot of people, when you realize it, it says harvest is plentiful. There are a lot of people who say, oh, people don't want to know about Jesus. It's plentiful out there. There are people all over the place who want to know about Jesus. What we need to do is pray that more of us will go out, more of us will share our faith. You know, we gather and we scatter. And in the sphere of influence that God has put you in in your life, you have the privilege and responsibility to share your faith. So let's pray for each other. Pray for the fellow workers that, as he says here, the, pray that uh, the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into the harvest. As we think about sharing our faith, pray that God would take send out more. And uh, we pray for each other. We pray that we'll get trained and excited and look for opportunities and share our faith. So have a plan and have a partner and pray. But there's more. And, and look at this. I'm going to put number four up. Trust God in the ministry. When you're going out and you're doing ministry, you're going to have to trust Him. Notice what He does. Verse 3. He says, Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, they're going to have to trust Him because He says, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Now, let me tell you this. Lambs don't like to be around a lot of wolves, okay? Now, let's face it. He's saying, I'm sending you out into a fallen world. I'm sending you out to do ministry. And guess what? You're going to have to trust me. You're going to have to. Philippians says that we would be innocent and blameless children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation in which we shine as lights in this world. We are in a crooked and perverse world. It's a fallen world. Just look at the television. Just look at anything. Just turn on the computer. Just look at anything and you say, this is pretty much messed up. It is. It's a fallen world. And that fallen world is in opposition to you and what you believe and how you want to live and the message that you proclaim. You're going to have to trust God as we, you know, we come in and we sing and we pray and we love and we hug and we just have a great time. And then we go out and we go out and we go, whoa, it's a fallen world out there. You're going to have to trust God. 
You're going to have to trust him. That's why he said, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. You know, our battle's not against what? Flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against wicked forces in heavenly places. It's a spiritual battle. They're going to have to trust him in every area. Notice what he says to them, verse 4. Carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes. Greet no one on the way. What does all that mean? He says, well, first of all, you just got to trust me. When he told them to go out, when he says, with no money belt, he says, you go out, don't worry about them finances part. He says, uh, no bag, which means a whole bunch of clothes. And then he said, and no shoes. He meant no extra shoes. You just go and you depend on me to meet your needs. And that's the truth. As we go through this life, we have to depend on our Savior to meet our needs. He says, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus, Philippians 4.19. He's going to do that. Not every want that we have, but he will provide every need. And we have to trust him. And so as he's sending these guys out, he says, you're going to have to trust me. He says, when you go out, don't carry a whole bunch of money. You don't need the money. I'm going to take care of you. Don't carry a bunch of clothes. You don't have to worry about it. He says, don't worry about all these extra shoes. The one thing he's saying, too, is, listen, this is not a long-term thing right now. I'm sending you out. I want you to go out with a message, and I want you to come back. Because we're going to see before this little section's over, they do come back. There's one other thing that people get bothered by when it says, and greet no one along the way. Does that mean you don't talk to people? I mean, when he sent them out and they're going down the road and somebody says, Shalom, and they go, I'm not talking because Jesus said don't greet anybody. That's not what this means. They could say Shalom, they could talk to people. What the idea was is don't get hung up. Remember, you have something to do. Don't get distracted as you're going out with this ministry and with this message. Now, we see that um, we to to have a partner and to have a plan and to you know to trust God and to pray, and we realize that. And He's going to tell them this when they go out. There are going to be some people believe. They're going to tell about Jesus and the Messiah and the Kingdom and the Savior, and people are going to believe. And then they're going to build some places, and then they're going to believe them at all. And you found in your life that you go out and you have opportunities to tell people about Jesus Christ and how he died on the cross and paid for sin and rose again. And you tell them, and they trust Jesus Christ as Savior. They believe you. They go, that, that's, that's right. I believe Jesus is my Savior. But sometimes you'll go out and you'll talk to people, and they won't believe you. In fact, sometimes they even get mad at you. And they say, I don't want to hear all that stuff. So Jesus says, listen, when you go out, remember, there are going to be people who believe and some people who don't. That's what he tells them. Watch what he does. He says that uh, sometimes people are going to respond one way, sometimes people are going to respond another. Verse 5. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him, but if not, it will return to you. What's he meaning? He says, when you go to a house and you say, peace be on this house, he's not just saying, say, peace on this house. He's saying, when you go and you begin to give the message, it's a message of peace. Having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God. So he says, when you go give the message, there are going to be people respond to you. And so when you go and you enter a house and you say, peace be unto this house, meaning when you go there and you tell them the message of peace, the stuff, of, the, the truth about Jesus, if a man of peace is there, meaning if they respond and somebody believes, he's talking about somebody who believes, he says, then peace will rest on him. You'll, you'll connect. If not, it'll return. You won't connect. And so he says, sometimes you're going to go to somebody and you're going to talk to them. And he's talking to these guys, of course. And you're going to talk to them about Jesus and they will receive you. And they'll believe. And you'll go, whoa, this is great. Sometimes you'll go and they won't receive you. Now, look what he says. If a man is peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in the house, eating and drinking what they give you. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not keep moving from house to house. 
He says, now when you go out there and, and you find someone, as you go into a town and you find someone who believes in Jesus, you either lead them to Christ or they already, you get with them and let that be your headquarters while you're there. And you stay in that house. And don't go from house to house to house. Stay there. Build a relationship with those people. He says, stay in the house eating and drinking. That means having fellowship with them. Whatever they give you. Now, how are you going to make it? It says, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. He says, you're going to get to a place. I told you don't worry about money. I told you don't worry about a whole bunch of clothes. I said, you're going to have to trust me to provide for you. When you get out there, you're going to find people that believe in me, in Jesus. And they're going to provide for you while you're there. They're going to take care of you. The scripture teaches us that people who do ministry, especially full time, are supported by others. First Timothy chapter five, verse 18. And that happens. That's what you do for me. You say to me, we want you to study the Bible. We want you to be our pastor. You want us. We want you to teach us. We want you to do all the things that pastors are supposed to do. And we will pay you to do that so you don't have to go do another job. And God uses you to provide my needs. He's telling them, when you go out, they'll find a house that somebody will receive them that believes and and just stay there because they'll eat and drink because they're worthy. The laborer is worthy of the wages. Don't keep moving from house to house. Wow. So they'll be supported by fellow believers, and that's what happens. We we just saw the picture of Matt Barton up there, and and, uh, how is he going to where he's going? You. You help make sure he gets there. And we got 23 different missions. If you go out the front door, if you go out the front door, right before you, you go in that little four-year part out there and you look up, there's all these pictures. 23 different missions. How do they go where they go? You. You help them get there. As you give, you are making sure those people can go to Slovenia and uh, Indonesia and all over the world to tell the message of Jesus Christ. You. And that's what he's saying to them. You'll find a house. You'll find somebody. Eat and drink whatever they give you. The laborers worthy of the, of the wages. Don't move from house to house. Well, there's, there's more. Here's the next thing. Keep the focus on the ministry. Let me show you. Look at the next verse. He says, whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat whatever set before you. Now, you might say, what's the big deal there? Well, you remember, these are Jewish people going out, and there's no telling where they're going. They're in a region near Samaria. What if they go into a Samaritan home, and it's not Jewish food? What if you go into a Gentile's home, and it's not Jewish food? Are you supposed to say, sorry, I'm not going to eat anything you set in front of me? Don't make that the issue. Keep the focus on ministry. And sometimes, when we're talking to people about Christ, there are things that ordinarily might bother you. But because of the fact that you want these people to know Jesus Christ, you don't let side issues stop you from sharing your faith. You've got to stand for the truth. And there's so many side issues out there, and yet when we stand for Jesus Christ, we just say, that's not the issue. You know what Paul said? He said, to those under the law, I came under the law so that I might win them. To those without the law, I was without the law. To the Jewish person, I was like this. To the Gentile person, I was like this. He said, I did whatever it took to be able to relate to those people so I could share my faith. That's what he's saying here. Don't let this be the issue. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat whatever's set before you, whatever they put there. Don't make that the issue. Because the issue is not food, drink, law, rituals, anything. The issue is the message of Jesus Christ. So often... People get sidetracked from doing what they're supposed to do. 
We don't want to get sidetracked on the evangelism part of what our ministry is. Now, it's to make disciples, and that's evangelism and training. We train believers so that we can share our faith and bring people in, train them so they can share their faith and grow. That's the key. Look at the next thing. Meet needs and proclaim the message. Look at the next verse. Verse 9 says, And heal those in it, in the city, who are sick, and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. He says, when you get in that city, when you're staying at that place, whatever they give you, don't make that the issue. Keep the focus on the ministry. Do the ministry, which is meeting needs and proclaiming the message. See, ministry is always twofold. It's a physical aspect and a spiritual aspect. When you do ministry, you touch people's lives. You help meet needs, and you help meet needs not only in a physical way possibly, but especially in the spiritual way. And so he says, what do you do? You heal those who are sick. That's the physical part. And then he says, and then you say to them, you give them the message, the kingdom of God has come near to you. See, it's come near to them because the king's on the earth and he's on his way. Remember, they were going out before Jesus. They were going out and telling him that Jesus was coming. The kingdom of God has come near to you because the king's on the earth. The Messiah is here. He's about to come to this city. And so, when we do ministry, sometimes we have to meet physical needs before we can do the spiritual. Because sometimes people... They won't want to know about the message unless they know that you really care about them. And sometimes throughout history there have been people who the only emphasis is just sharing the message. And a lot of people won't listen to them. And there are times that we go and we help meet needs. You know, when our youth were down in New Orleans, what were they doing there? They were doing a vacation Bible school. They were gutting out these houses. They were helping feed people while they were there. Opened opportunities for them to share their faith. So he said, when you go, meet the needs and proclaim the message. The, the message was that Jesus indeed is the Messiah and the Savior and all who believe in him have eternal life. There's one other thing. The seventh thing in this is this. The response determines eternal destiny. How people respond to the message will determine their eternal destiny. I want you to look down at verse 16 because that's a summary statement. Look what he says. The one who listens to you, if they listen to what you have to say, they're listening to me. Jesus said, it's the same as me. When they hear you, they're hearing me. But the one who rejects you, that's the same as rejecting me. And the one who rejects me, Jesus says, is the one is rejecting the one who sent me. That's the Father. He says, when you go out with that message and they believe you, it's the same as believing me and they have eternal life. When they reject you, it's the same as rejecting me and same as rejecting the one who sent me, which is the Heavenly Father. And see, there's a rejection there. So the response is going to determine salvation or separation. Look what he goes on to say in verse 10. He says, but whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into the streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. He says, there are going to be times they're going to reject you and you need to go out and make it public and say to them, we're wiping the dust of your city off our feet because I want you to understand, you're rejecting the Messiah and the Savior. There's going to be a time of judgment. And there is. There is. For people who never trust in Jesus Christ, they will stand before what is called the great white throne judgment and the books will be open and the book of life will be open and if their name is not found written in the book of life and the only way you get your name in the book of life is believe in Jesus and they haven't believed in Jesus their names are not found written in the book of life and the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 20 that they're cast into the lake of fire 
there is a judgment coming. And so he says to them, he says, whenever you go into the city and they don't receive you, you go out in the street, even the dust of the city, you say to them, even the dust of the city which cleans our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. See, there are times in a nice, loving way you tell someone, listen, if you do not believe in Jesus as your Savior, you'll be separated from Him forever. See, we live in a culture that doesn't want to offend anybody and we want everybody to be tolerant and say things like everybody can have the right to believe anything they want and all of them are equal. They are not equal. There's only one Savior. There's only one way of salvation. There may come a time in your life as you're sharing with somebody that you actually have to say to them, I love you and Jesus loves you and God loves you, but if you do not believe in Jesus, you will be separated from Him forever. That's what he tells them to tell them. There is a judgment coming. Notice the next verse because it's powerful. He says, I say to you, this is verse 12, I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Now, that's a strong statement because we know Sodom is the city, the wicked city that God judged, Sodom and Gomorrah. He rained down fire from heaven and destroyed all those people. He says, in the day of judgment, it will be worse for a city in this day and time, that rejected Jesus than for Sodom. Now, that was a strong statement to make. He's saying that, that, that when Sodom was destroyed, think about if God judged Sodom, what about a city that rejects Jesus Christ? Pretty powerful. Now, think what he's doing. He's sending out the 70 with the message of salvation and the kingdom. He says, go into a city. When you find those that believe, you stay there and proclaim the truth. Heal the people. Teach the truths. He says, when they believe, they have eternal life. But when those do not believe, then, then you can show that they're going to be judged by wiping the dust off of your feet and telling them judgment is coming. Now, Jesus stops right in the middle of saying this, and he's going to deal with three cities. Because these people are all, all of these people are familiar with these three cities. They're Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And look what he says. It's really strong. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Now, what he's saying, Chorazin was a little city about two miles north of Capernaum. And Bethsaida was the hometown of some of the disciples. And what he's saying to them, if, and it's not true, but if these same miracles that had happened in Chorazim and Bethsaida, if that had happened in the other two cities, Tyre and Sidon, two Gentile cities... He says, if I'd have gone to Tyre and Sidon and done the same miracles, they would have believed. He says, they would have repented, which means to change their mind, and they would be in sackcloth and ashes. That means they would have said, we believe in God, we believe in a judgment coming, we believe in a Savior. He says, these cities, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and he's going to say Capernaum in just a minute. He says, they're in trouble because I've done all of these miracles around them, and they still do not believe that I'm the Savior. Notice what he says. Verse 14, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. That is a very strong statement. You know, the truth is this, the greater the light, the greater the responsibility. You think about, think about our church, think about our country. You know, we have the gospel message. It's on television, radio. It's churches. There are churches all over the place. Churches on every corner. There are other parts of the world that there's nothing. And there are going to be people in our country because they have rejected the great amount of light. It's going to be tougher for them on the day of judgment than some of these other places that have just barely got the message. 
That's what he's saying. Look at the next verse. And you, Capernaum. Now, Capernaum was his headquarters. Capernaum is where he stayed. Capernaum is where he did all these miracles all around there. He says, Capernaum will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You think you're going to get up to heaven? You think you're going to be a great city? You will be brought down to Hades. And what does that mean? He says, God's going to judge Capernaum. Because here's Capernaum as a whole did not, the people in the city did not believe in Jesus. And this is the headquarters. This is where he lived. This is where he did saw all of these miracles. And they saw it all. They heard his messages. And they missed it. They rejected it. It says he'll be cast, they'll be cast down into Hades. Let me explain something to you. Some people, every time they see the word Hades, they think hell. And they think he's saying, you'll be brought down to hell. The word Hades does not mean hell. There are three key words... In Greek, that are put in our English. The first one is a word called Gehenna. There was a valley of Hinnon, and in the, in the valley of Hinnon, right outside Jerusalem, was a garbage dump. And it was called Gehenna, and it burned all the time. That was a word that if you said to a Jewish person, Gehenna, they would think of the place of eternal separation. They would think of what we call hell. So when the word Gehenna is used in the Scripture, when you see something about Gehenna, that's the same as saying this person will be cast into the lake of fire. There's another word, which is translated Hades, which is a Greek word, same, same meaning as the Old Testament word Sheol. They both mean the place of the dead. We're going to see it when we get to Luke chapter 16. There's a place in the heart of the earth called Hades or Sheol. It's the place of the dead. All he's saying is all of the people in uh, Capernaum are going to be killed and they're going to be in the place of the dead. And then one day they'll be judged. There is a third word. And it's the word Tartarus. And that's found in Second Peter. And it is a holding place, best we can tell. It is a holding place in Hades for wicked angels. So sometimes you'll see these three words. When you see the word Hades, do not think of hell. If you see the word Gehenna, you can say, okay, that's sort of like hell. That's, that, that's what it's talking about. So when he says they're going to be cast down to Hades, that means they're going, to all be die, they're going to all die and then be waiting for a time of judgment. Notice verse 16 again. The one who listens to you listens to me. The one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. See, they are the representatives of Jesus Christ. And when you go out, you are a representative of Jesus Christ. As Second Corinthians says, we're all ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech through us. So when you go share your faith, you are representing Christ. And when they reject you and your message, they're rejecting Jesus and his message. And when they're rejecting Jesus, they're rejecting the Heavenly Father. See, there were some Jewish people who would say, I believe in the God of Israel, but I don't believe in Jesus. And Jesus says, you can't do that because the Father sent me. You reject me, you're rejecting the Father. Seven keys. Let me remind you what they are. If we're going to share our faith, have a plan, have a partner, pray for fellow workers, trust God in the ministry, keep the focus on ministry, meet the needs and proclaim the message, and then realize the response will determine eternal destiny. Well, let me end it real quickly by showing what happened when they came back. Verse 17, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, that's the key. They went out in the authority of Jesus Christ, and even the demons were subjected to them, and they went there and they gave out the message. It was powerful. Notice what Jesus says in verse 18. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. It literally says in the original language, I had seen Satan fall. This is referring, I think, when Jesus said, I saw Satan 
Satan fall from heaven like lightning. This is when in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, when Satan was removed from heaven by God because of his sin. I think what Jesus is saying, we know that Satan has been removed and he has fallen. But I think what he's saying by this is, as you go out and proclaim the message, it is showing that the devil has been defeated. He's been defeated on the cross. He is defeated now. He's the slanderer. He's the evil one. He's the adversary. But we have victory. Because we go in the power of Jesus Christ. And then so he says, Behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing will injure you. Now for those particular people he sent out, he said, Nothing's going to harm you because I'm sending you out with my authority right now. We know this. We go out with his authority. He didn't promise us that nothing will ever happen to us. He did those 70. Because all 70 of them came back and said, Whoa, did we have fun. Okay? But he didn't promise us that something might not happen to us. It might. But we still go out His authority. We still go out with His message. Here's the key. He said, you got a lot of joy because you're all excited about what's happening. But He said, let me show you the great thing. Verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you. Don't, don't rejoice because what happened in this little ministry thing. Rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. How are our names recorded in heaven? There's a book called the Book of Life. Scripture talks about it, the book of Revelation, other places. And when your name is recorded in the Book of Life, it comes by faith. And I hope and pray that every one of you in this room, you could rejoice because your name is written in heaven. It's written in the Book of Life. Now, how is that possible? Just by faith. It's not by your works. It's not by goodness. It's not by going to church. It's not by getting baptized. It's not by doing any of that. It is believing in Jesus Christ for eternal life. He gives you eternal life and your name is written in the book of life. The most important thing that we could rejoice over is that we have eternal life. 1 John 5, 13, these things were written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So here's the question. Is your name written in the book of life? I hope and pray that every one of you would say yes. If not, right where you're sitting right now, you can believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. And your name, by the authority of Scripture, is written in the book of life. What have we seen? Jesus sends out the 70 to tell of the kingdom. It's a spiritual battle. Some would believe, some would reject. The eternal destiny is determined by the response. Judgment comes to all who reject. And when they come back, there's joy. And he says, yeah, that's great joy. But have joy in the fact that you have eternal life. Let me give you some applications. We'll close it out fairly quickly. First of all, let's be ready to share our faith. I mean, that's a key. Just as Jesus sent out the 70, then he sends us out. We're ambassadors for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.20. We're to be his witnesses. So what's the thing we do? A, let's have a plan. Have a plan. Know, know, the, know the gospel. Know the method. If you're not sure, if you don't feel confident, you call me. You need to be in a 412. You need to be in the 2-2 so we can train you and equip you. B, have a partner. Get somebody that you're close with that will hold you accountable, that will pray for you and pray with you and encourage you. And go out with you maybe if, if you know. Maybe somebody in your office that's, that's a fellow Christian with you that you could be together or where you work or whatever. C, pray for other workers and the ministry. Lift it up to God and say, Lord, use us. Send out more. Have more and more people share their faith. D, trust Christ in the ministry. He is the authority. He'll never leave us or forsake us. He is our strength and our shield. He is the provider and the protector. We just have to trust Him. E, keep the focus on the ministry. There's so many little nitpicky things that you could get sideways with. Don't let that stop you from sharing your faith. F, meet needs and proclaim the good news. 
That's what we do as a church. That's what we do individually. Meet the needs of those around us and share the message. And then realize this. Know that the response will determine people's eternal destiny. If they believe, they have eternal life. If they reject, they'll be separated forever. It's so sad. It's so good that they can have eternal life. It's so sad that they'll be separated forever. Let's be faithful to do it. Second, know that your name is written in heaven. Know that your name is written in the book of life. It comes simply by faith in Jesus Christ. He gives you eternal life and you can know it. Let me tell you, if you have believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have eternal life. Your name is written in the book of life and you should have confidence with that. You shouldn't say, I hope I'm going. You should say, I know I have eternal life. My name is written in the book of life because I have believed in Jesus Christ as my Savior. May we be prepared and faithful to proclaim the good news message, knowing that how people respond will result in either eternal life or eternal separation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you for these great truths, Lord. And we asked you that we'd be ready to share our faith. And Lord, we'd have a plan and a partner and we'd be praying and we trust you as we go out and trust you as we go every day and keeping the focus on the good news message. And Lord, there are times that we meet needs and we share our faith. And Lord, we know that how people respond will determine whether they'll be with you forever or be separated forever. Lord, use us to see people come to know Jesus Christ, his Savior. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room knows that their name is written in heaven simply by faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for a great morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.